Good morning. I'm going to change gears a little bit and not talk about roads, but talk about something that kind of came along based on my research on roads that I worked on long ago at the, uh, at the Montana Department of Transportation. So today I'm going to talk about Bear Creek, which is one of my second homes. And uh, the reason being is my wife was from there and uh, we spent a lot of time in, early in our marriage and, in Bear Creek visiting her mother. And in the process, I heard all the gossip, all the history, and hopefully I've also learned how to correctly pronounce Eastern European names. So bear with me a little bit today because I'm sure I'm not gonna do it right. But with that, um, there we go. Um, Bear Creek, the Bear Creek you see today has bears little resemblance to the Bear Creek in its heyday from 1906 to 1943. Indeed, it's hard to believe standing at the famed Bear Creek Saloon and looking east along Main Street though, that it once boasted a vibrant commercial district and a population of nearly 750 people at its peak in the 1920s. Here's a photograph of the Bear Creek taken, I believe, around 1917. Bear Creek was, in the beginning, a coal camp. The Bear Creek field consists of massive amounts of high-quality, sub-bituminous coal. The, the, uh, the coal was used to power Northern Pacific Railway locomotives, and for a time also was used to power the uh, Anaconda smelter. And, but most importantly, Bear Creek coal was great for domestic purposes. And so it had a wide uh, market for it throughout Montana that was carried out of the fields by the Montana, Wyoming, and Southern Railway, which uh, there's a whole other story with, with that particular line. Commercial mining began in the district in 1897 with the establishment of the Montana Coal and Iron Company mine. It became known for one of the company's primary investors, Elijah Smith. Here's a photo, a little bit of a grainy photograph of downtown Bear Creek, taken out, I think, probably around 1910, 1912. By 1905, Bear Creek area, uh, Bear Creek was founded. There was five commercial mines working in the district and also a large number of small wagon mines. And these are mines that were operated by maybe one or two people that would dig out the coal and sell it to homes in Bear Creek, Washoe, and, and across the hill over in, in Red Lodge. Perhaps realizing the potential of the district and the need of a place to house the miners and their families, George Lamport and his son-in-law, Robert Levins, purchased 160 acres and in the Bear Creek Valley where the creek flows out of the hills. In September of that year, they formed Bear Creek Town Improvement Company and began selling lots in the new town. In the beginning, Bear Creek was a substantial place with mostly brick and stone buildings in the commercial district. The town incorporated as a city in December 1906 and obtained a telephone system, electric lighting, and water in 1907. Many of the businesses were typical of a mining camp, which included a pool hall, a brothel, and anywhere from six to 10 saloons, depending on who you talked to. 
That is until Prohibition came along in 1918 and all those speakeasies went underground, so to speak. Other businesses typical of a small town were also present in Bear Creek, including a drugstore, mercantiles, meat markets, groceries, and two hotels, the most substantial of which was the, uh, the Lamport. There was also a grade school, a high school, and um, several boarding houses, a hospital, and a bank in Bear Creek at its height. Bear Creek never did have a church, however. So I always thought that was a great little, you know, that was something maybe they should have advertised a little bit more. But uh, they did have a police force that included just one man. So just a constable, and he does show up in the, in the, uh, in the census records as a, as a law enforcement officer. The city did have that rail connection to the Montana-Wyoming and Southern Railway. Uh, that provided access to the Northern Pacific Line that had a branch down to Bridger, just to the, uh, about 25 miles northeast of, of uh, Bear Creek. By 1910, the Bear Creek's population reached five, or 302 people, peaking in 1920 with over just over 740 citizens. The city's population came mostly from Scotland, or came from Scotland, came from Eastern Europe, and also from Italy, but the bulk of the people who lived in Bear Creek were American-born. And there was also a, a very large number of Montana-born people that were living in Bear Creek in the first, uh, or the second decade of the 20th century. Well, they all lived in ethnic neighborhoods, and, uh, but they all worked together in the mines, and ultimately they all rest together at the cemetery east of town. According to the census, about 55%, an average of 55% of the people in Bear Creek, the working age men in Bear Creek, worked in the coal mines. Now, this doesn't include the men who lived in Washoe, a few miles to the east of, um, or to the west of, of Bear Creek, or among the, all these little houses that were scattered between Bear Creek and Washoe, that were all very close to the mines working in the district. The Great Depression and the transition from coal to natural gas caused a drop in the population and the of Bear Creek and a drop in the production of the mines. And even that even included the much vaunted Bear Creek coal, which you can find Bear Creek coal advertisements all across Montana, starting in the 1910s all the way up until the 1930s. Okay. The Smith Mine was the largest employer in the district, and by the time of the Great Depression, that and the Foster Gulch mines, which were also owned by the uh, Montana Coal and Iron Company, were the only commercial mines operating in the Bear Creek District. This is a photo of the Smith Mine taken in 1943. Smith Mine was the biggest employer by World War II, that it was because of the, of the war effort and the need for, for coal that the mine was operating 24-7. A lot of the men who worked in the mine were working double shifts because the money was real good and they'd been hard hit by the depression. But things weren't going to stay idyllic for very long. The Smith Mine didn't offer the best working conditions. Underground coal mining is dangerous by nature, but conditions in the Smith Mine were particularly bad. There's a lot of water in the mine. It was, uh, it was a lot of gas. It was a particularly gassy mine. 
and the safety precautions weren't all that good for the miners working there. So because it was a gas, a gas mine, there was sometimes pockets of methane gas or carbon monoxide in the mine, but that didn't keep the miners from wearing open flame uh, uh, lights on their caps, and it was permissible to smoke underground. So this was a disaster waiting to happen. And but because of the money that the mine was generating for the owners and the money that was being brought home by the miners working there, that they all tended to look the other way and let those, those conditions persist. But I think it was pretty clear that something bad was going to happen there, and it did. At 9.27 or 9.37 on the morning of February 24th, 1943, an explosion ripped through the tunnel, uh, Smith Mine Number 3 tunnel. The first inkling of disaster above ground was a hurricane of debris that blew from the, uh, from the, the mouth of the tunnel. And that's the photo of the tunnel on the upper, on the upper uh, left. It's been completely reclaimed. This was right under Secondary Highway 308 that you can tell when you go over the number three tunnel because the road has a nice little dip to it that we can't seem to, to fill. So I, I keep thinking that that would be a nice little memorial to leave there for the miners who, who died in that particular mine. Many of the men in the mine died instantly in the explosion, but many more died slowly from asphyxiation of carbon monoxide gas and methane gases. And I think the Historical Society does have a couple of the plaques that were left behind by miners who were waiting essentially to die underground where they wrote their last messages to their families. One of the most, I think, I think that, Bruce, that's the one that won the, uh, the most popular. Yeah. So I just include a couple of disaster photos here. There are a whole series of them. This uh, particular event caused or generated national uh, news at the time, and so there are a fair number of photos of what happened there. And uh, so I'll just include these two for today. Um, the explosion was likely caused by a buildup of methane gas that was ignited either by a miner's headlamp or by someone smoking underground probably walked into a packet of gas and that was, that was all she wrote for the, for the people there. For several days, the families of the miners waited in the mine buildings for word that their, about their husbands, their fathers, sons, uncles, and brothers. And the photo on the upper left shows essentially what was the headquarters of the mine for the, uh, for the rescue efforts and with the families standing around outside it waiting to hear about their, their loved ones. And then one in the lower right shows a photo of that particular building today. This is what the Smith Mine looks like. It stands today. It stands sentinel to uh, next to Secondary 308 between Red Lodge and Bear Creek. It's one of the last good examples of a coal mine where the above-ground buildings still exist. Um, built places listed in the National Register of Historic Places. And in the opinion of this particular historian, I think we ought to consider this a sacred place in Montana history. Now, many of the relatives of the men who were killed in the mine still live in the Red Lodge Bear Creek area. And growing, uh, or getting, spending 
time there in the area with my wife and her family, you hear those stories and meet those people. And um, it's kind of a, it kind of makes this whole thing, you makes you realize that the Smith mine disaster isn't quite in the past yet, that it's still very much in the, in, alive in the minds of the people who live in that area, who have lived in that area for a long time. But today, Bear Creek that you see today is really also a, a monument to the Smith Mine disaster. That after the, the thing occurred, that a lot of women were left as widows and they couldn't support their families on their own in Bear Creek, so they moved. A lot of business owners decided that there really wasn't any money left for them working, staying in the Bear Creek area. So what you start seeing is a combination of, of different groups of people essentially abandoning their, their property and, or else letting the county take it for taxes. And some of those buildings were moved off site. Some of them are in Bridger. There's a few in uh, Red Lodge, a uh, couple in Belfry. Or they were just allowed to deteriorate and eventually um, uh, melt back into the earth. So when you go to Bear Creek today, I assume a lot of you have, have been there that we all tend to look at just the, uh, the Bear Creek Saloon, but if you really take time to really pay attention to the town itself, that what you're seeing is really a direct result of the Smith Mine disaster. Now the deaths of 75 people did take a big toll on that area, and that's, that's, uh, and that's pretty much what we see today when we go to Bear Creek. There's a drugstore, um, one of the, uh, Places you look in the window and you see they just kind of walked away from it. But it's been the home of pigeons for snakes for a long time, so probably not a place you really want to go in. Um, George Sooker's garage, the old bank building, uh, which is listed in the National Register. Old mercantile that once functioned there along Main Street that was built in 1906 with a sandstone sandstone foundation, but really a lot of the good evidence for the Smith Mine disaster is in the cemetery itself. The Bear Creek Cemetery was formed in um, 1909, and it was on land donated to the city of Bear Creek by George Lamport and his wife, Lodinia. And uh, the first internment there was just another overview of the cemetery today. It's on a hillside about a mile east of Bear Creek, right along the highway. You can see it from both Bear Creek and the highway. Another example of it, it's not landscaped. It's not planned, really. They did have kind of a landscape plan when it was formed, but what I found is that what's there now doesn't adhere to what the plan was that it's uh, still buried, people are buried in rows, like they, uh, like they are typically in cemeteries, but they're not following the plan. There's only one road as an access to it. There's no landscaping. Um, it's kind of barren. It's a little, it's a little decayed. But what, uh, what I kind of like about it is that it's, uh, it's pretty typical of a, you know, a frontier prairie uh, mountain cemetery that people left their, buried their families there with a lot of care, and, um, and a lot of those graves are still taken care of today. I'm also trying to talk my wife into buying burial plots there because they only cost $25 each. 
So something quite affordable, but you're not going to get perpetual care at all. Once a couple times a year, the county goes or the city goes in and, and mows it, but that's that's about it. But there are today, I believe there are. Let's see if I can. 473 known burial burials at the cemetery. Um, some of those graves, 156 of those graves are unmarked. Also, there's a large number of, some, of uh, burials in there of children, which I think really also attests to the, uh, the hard lives that a lot of these people were living in this coal mining camp. Another view of it today. This is uh, with Bear Creek in the background. Uh, it's kind of scenic, I guess, but uh, I've always noticed that some, a lot of the cemeteries have the best views around with uh, people that can probably um, not appreciate it the most. But uh, in any case, there's another view of it. This is the, uh, the first um, burial in the cemetery was nine-year-old Helen Markovich. I did try and find out exactly when Helen died of, but the, uh, the death records for Carbon County at this time aren't really all that complete. But the rest of her family is also buried in the cemetery as well. Um, a good portion of Bear Creek's um, population at one time was from Eastern Europe. And that's well represented in the cemetery as well. Many of the headstones have Cyrillic lettering on the, uh, on the stone. Um, a lot of them also have photographs of the deceased on there as well. And to me, that especially makes it a little poignant because you're not only you know, reading about the life or seeing the life of somebody that's buried there, you're also seeing what they looked like when they were alive. And um, so it all becomes a little bit more personal. And I've seen a lot of these kind of headstones in Butte cemeteries as well, which the same, uh, with the same ethnic groups uh, represented in them. Families. A lot of families are represented there, couples. Um, I don't read Cyrillic, so I don't know what they all say on there, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, at some point, somebody could read them. And I'm thinking there's probably translations of them around somewhere in, in the Red Lodge Archive, uh, County Archives. Another example of one of the, the Cyrillic stones with, with a portrait on it. A lot of children's graves, again, which um, really I think attests to uh, the, the working class nature of this whole area. Uh, they're particularly sad to look at. Um, I think there's, uh, well, there are um, 107 children buried in the cemetery, all between the ages of infancy and, and 10 years old, when their families are long gone. Not in that area anymore. You get especially bad when you get something like this. These are all pre-manufactured headstones, but again, they put photographs of the, of the dead child on them. Sometimes you just get a cross with a name on it. But someone remembers her somehow because every year someone places artificial flowers on her grave. Um, there's also a lot of stories in the, in the Bear Creek Cemetery that kind of go along with the city's history. Um, murderer and murdered rest just a few yards from each other. 
Walter Brown on the right, on the left there, was a miner in one of the mines in the district who came into a pool hall in Bear Creek Lake one night when Joe Noglich was working. He's there on the, on the right. Noglich wanted to close down and Brown insisted on having a drink. This was in 1923, I believe. And, um, and Noglich wouldn't serve him. And so Brown started showering him with epithets and Noglish decided, well, the only way I'm gonna get rid of this guy is if I knock him out and drag him out of my pool hall. So he whacked him over the head with a pistol and the pistol went off and shot Noglich in the head. And so poor old Joe Noglich found himself in jail, charged with first degree murder, and that's what he was convicted of and sent to Deer Lodge Prison to serve out his term. Uh, 1930, he was pardoned by Governor Erickson, returned to, uh, to Bear Creek and lived there until his death in 1965. Ironically, my wife grew up in Joe Noglich's house. So uh, I heard a lot of Noglich stories from her mother and her, uh, her father before he passed away about uh, what this guy was like and apparently he wasn't anybody who wanted to have anything to do with anyway. But again, murder, murderer and murder, murderee um, lie, lie close together in Bear Creek. There weren't that many uh, murders in Bear Creek. Uh, I think there was only one other, and, uh, but this is the only one where the, uh, where the victims are, are still there. Another one, uh, Janet Cameron was a member of the Cameron, a large uh, family from Scotland by the last name of Cameron, who came to Bear Creek in, in 1913. All the Cameron men and the boys, as soon as they got old enough, worked in the mines. And so there were a lot of, a lot of Camerons in, in Bear Creek, in Washoe, and Cameron's relatives who died in the Smith Mine Disaster. Janet Cameron was um, the matriarch of the family, and at the time of the disaster, her home became one of the places of refuge for the families and the rescuers who were working, waiting for news about the mine. It's just it's within spitting distance of, of Smith Mine Number 3 Tunnel. The house is still there. Um, there's also the yellow wallpaper on the wall still of the house that one of the uh, sons of the deceased in the mine remembered, kind of cheered him up during those dark days while he was waiting for news about his father. But the Cameron family all interned at the, uh, at the Bear Creek Cemetery as well. Um, Edward Sinus came to Bear Creek with his wife and family in about 1906, shortly after it became, an, uh, after the town was uh, planted. And he and his family ran a number of businesses in, in Bear Creek up until, I believe, about the 1930s or 40s. Um, his wife, he, Edward, and his wife were still are buried in the cemetery, as are his brothers, Nestor, Thomas, and I don't recall the name of the other one. But uh, importantly, his daughter, Sidney, is buried, buried in the cemetery as well. And she has the only cemetery statuary at Bear Creek. Uh, this was in place about, oh, let me see if I can find my notes here. She, uh, this, she died in 1911. There's a photograph of her on the headstone. And in May 1912, the Red Lodge Republican picket reported that, quote, a monument of beautiful Italian marble sculpted in the figure of an angel has been received and would be erected at the grave. 
And in truth, I think this angel overlooks the whole grave, the whole cemetery that she's watching over, not only 70 in the, uh, in right there in front of it, but she's also watching over all the people that are, that are resting in that particular cemetery. There's also a little poem that was inscribed on that stone that says, quote, like a flower she passed away, destroyed in all her bloom. She left this world and all her friends to molder in the tomb. Now the Cenas, I'll talk more about them here in just a second. But uh, anyway, uh, George Luzen was an immigrant from the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, came to the United States in 1888 and for several years. At the beginning of the 20th century, he worked, or he owned a saloon in East Helena. In 1906, he came to Red, uh, Bear Creek. In 1907, he, he opened a saloon there and was also the treasurer of the Bear Creek Liquor Dealers Association. And that was a position he held until his death in 1915. In 1913, Luzon purchased two lots in Bear Creeks on Bear Creeks Main Street and hired a couple of men, Sam Stiller and Jacob Morich, to build a substantial brick business block on them. He intended the building to house a grocery store in one half of the building and a saloon in the other half. Luzon, well, I forgot, got to add this too, he came to Bear Creek with his housekeeper, a woman named Lucy Putzel, who was also an immigrant from the, um, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Unfortunately, in 1915, July 1915, Luzon died of blood poisoning before the business block was completed. On his deathbed, he left his entire estate to Mrs. Putzel, and both of them lived in the basement of this un in uncompleted building. At the time of his death, his nephews, <coughs> excuse me, filed a probate against the will, saying he wasn't in his right mind at the time it was signed. But at the probate hearing, it came out that Lucy Putzel had actually financed the construction of all three buildings on that lot to the tune of $16,000. This is from a housekeeper who may or may not have been literate and who lived with George Luzon for many years. But it turned out that she actually owned all three buildings. She paid for them in cash. How she got the money, nobody knows, but there's always going to be a lot of speculation, but uh, I don't care. It's just a great story. How she got the money doesn't matter, and as we all know speculating in history is always a lot of fun, right? <laughs> Mrs. Putzel lived in the basement of the saloon for the rest of her life, dying in 1935, and today we all know the saloon today is the Bear Creek Saloon. And that is on the uh, left, what it looked like when it was finally completed, and then, of course, what it looks like today. How many of you have been to the Bear Creek Saloon? So it's got an interesting history. But unfortunately, I don't think, Mark, we can list this building in the National Register with that, with that particular sighting. All right. Another couple that's buried at the cemetery is John and Francis Chisarek. I think I pronounced that right. I found out I was pronouncing it wrong for a couple of years before I was corrected. Uh, John immigrated to the U.S. from Slovenia in 1896, returned home in 1906 or 1903 to marry Francis. This is their wedding photograph. 
then they both came to Bear Creek in 1914, where he bought a two-story saloon with, uh, with work functioned as a boarding house on the second floor and a saloon on the, on the ground floor. And he, raised, he and his wife raised a family in a residence next door. But they too are also still there in Bear Creek at the, at the cemetery. Again, this is what I think really adds a little bit of um, making this you know, more personal when you go visit, when you can actually see who it is you're, going, you're, you're reading about. Another view of some of the other headstones in the cemetery. And then this is one of my favorite places to go in Montana. I'm an avowed cemetery walker, and uh, this one I like quite a bit. But I'll explain later why I only like going up there certain times of the year. But as you can see, there's all different types of um, uh, graves. Some of them have grave guards, a lot of them don't. Some of them just have simple um, sandstone um, flagstone there to mark them. Some of them, like this German cross here, has uh, the name is long ago worn off, but someone had enough uh, foresight to attach something to it, so we still know who it is. Um, there's also a fair number of uh, men who belong to fraternal organizations that are buried at the cemetery. Not a whole lot, but, but a fair number. So in the Bear Creek once had an active um, fraternal society um, life there when the community was, was, was active. And then finally, the Smith Mine. There are 22 men who died in the Smith Mine that are buried at the Bear Creek Cemetery. Um, in 1945, the United Mine Workers decided they were going to, to, uh, to commemorate the, the, the deaths of those men with this uh, particular um, monument. It took them two years to actually get enough money to donate it, but in 1947, it was officially dedicated, and the man who gave the primary speech was a UMW um, leader named Tony Boyle that went on to gain some infamy later on in the 1960s or 70s with how he was uh, taking care of his rivals in the Union. But again, there are a large number of men, 22 men who died in the mine who were buried there. And uh, this one is, is Frank Morich on the, uh, with his wife on the, uh, on the left. Frank um, was a machinist. He worked in, in the machine shop underground. He had also had, had a close encounter with methane gas underground before, and he just barely survived that. But he was caused, caught in the explosion, and unfortunately, maybe he died instantly. But uh, the Morridge family is still still lives in the, in the Red Lodge area. Uh, another one is uh, Bob Wakenshaw. Who is, uh, whose wife, he and his wife, lived in Bear Creek in 1924. They had triplets. Uh, all of them died right after birth, and they're all buried in the cemetery as well. Here's a photo of Bob and his wife. I believe her name was Mary, and then Mary again at, the, uh, at, his, at his grave later on. And this is, you know, Wakenshaws also have family in the area still that. Uh, remember them and make sure both Morridge and Wakenshaw had other family members that died in the mines with Morridge's brother and his father-in-law with Wakenshaw's father and his father-in-law 
were also killed in 1943 during the explosion. Um, a couple more. Uh, don't ask me. I don't know what that man's name is on the uh, on the left. Um, John Hodnick, who was also killed in the mine, and uh, his family now lives in Helena. One of them worked for um, his grandson worked for Morris and Bailey early in my career at the highway department. But unfortunately, at that time, I didn't know about his connection to Bear Creek and the, and the Smith mine disaster. Um, others, August Durrell who died. Most of these men are buried in family plots, but a few were buried singly, like Mr. Durrell, and then I like Mr. Ignatz Marincheck's, Marincheck's uh, headstone with the, t with the pipe. I mean, it just makes it look a little bit more like he actually did in life. Um, this part's for my good friend, Ellen. She wanted to know, are you going to tell a ghost story? about the cemetery. And I figured, well, I, how much time do I have, Mark? Five minutes? I, one minute? I can't tell it. Other than the fact it deals with, uh, can I give up some of my two minutes? Yeah, two minutes. All right, I'll talk fast. Um, I, I went to the cemetery once with a lady who claimed to be a psychic investigator. And so we were standing there at the fence looking across it. And she says, there's somebody standing over in the corner, and he looks really mad. So we went over there so she could, I guess, commune with him or whatever. And it turns out, according to, to, to this woman, that this was, the, this was the ghost of a man who came to Bear Creek looking for his sister, Rosa Cernick. This is Rosa's grave. She is indeed buried at the cemetery. The time we went to look at it, this was under snow, so so uh, this person couldn't have seen it. And so there was a long discussion about how he'd been there. He came looking for his sister who died in 1917 and um, couldn't find her, so he walked out of one of the saloons and walked in front of a train and got hit and killed. And of course, they buried him, but he was outside the fence and he was mad about being outside the fence. He was mad about not finding his sister, and he was mad about getting hit by a train. So that's really the only ghost story I have, other than a few weeks after this, um, this person's husband was taking videos of everything, and she called me up and she said, you've got to come over here now. And I did, and you could see somebody walking around behind the bush, right on the other side of the fence, about where this guy supposedly was. And uh, you couldn't really see any features. It was just a shadow more than anything, but it was obviously somebody. And it was just the three of us there. It was this, the investigator, myself, and her husband. So whoever that was by the bush, we don't know. But it was a great story anyway, and it scared my daughters pretty badly, so they <laughs> wouldn't go back there. But finally, if you ever get a chance, I really recommend you go to the Bear Creek Cemetery. There's a meditation center there that's got a map shown where everybody was buried, and also um, a little bit of history about the, uh, the Smith Mine disaster as well. The only thing I would do is, if you really like to do it, do it on colder days. Because while the main residents of the cemetery are deceased, there are live residents there that you probably don't want to meet too badly. And this place is snaky. And so um, colder days are better. And, uh, 
but definitely it's worth the trip. Even if you want to take a chance, go to the Bear Creek Saloon, but before you go to the saloon, stop up at the cemetery and really get a feeling for what Bear Creek was, that it was really much more than that place at one time and some place that was really important in our history here in Montana. So with that, I'm done.